You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Cavalry Audio. I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to Season 2 of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Clint, and thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast? We are doing a compilation of the greatest hits, if you will, of the past. And we thought, hey, why not give you a taste of the best interviews you may have missed, the best survival stories and tips you may not have paid attention to last time. So hold on and get ready for Can You Survive This Podcast's Greatest Hits. Enjoy. And one of the most common questions I get all the time, I've been actually reading your comments. I'm not really good at it, but I have been doing it from time to time. And it's always like, hey, where do I get that T-shirt you're wearing? I'm always like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Just go look at my links. Violentnomad.com. The one I'm wearing today is a navy blue blank with some gold and white navy attributions. And if the pirate in you wants a shirt like this then just go on over to uh, violentnomad.com and get yourself the Buccaneer. Okay, so all the shirts I ever wear is from violentnomad.com, which is my own apparel, just like everybody else on the planet. Your body is your billboard, and I wear my shit all the time. So if you like it, get yourself one. That answers at least you know those hundred questions about what shirt I'm wearing, which I think is crazy. But let's get to today's guest. Go and say from SEAL Team 1, it was very highly disciplined SEAL Team Training was very strong, very effective. I went to war at SEAL Team 1, loved it, um, learned a lot there, and that that qualified me and, and caused me to perform very well in selection for the Tier 1 level, the dev group. So I've got nothing but respect there, but the, the budgets are so radically different. You know, you're talking yeah. uh, a budget that's that's larger at, at, 
a tier one unit than all the other SEAL team uh, SEAL teams combined. Right. As far as annual budget. So there's no comparison. Instead of having, um, you know, one support person for every 10 or 15 operators and in, in the, the team, you've got five support personnel for every operator. Yeah. It's a radically different environment. So you're, you're given a lot more responsibility and no excuse for failure. Basically, anything that you think you need as an operator to prepare for an operation can be made available to you if within reason. But I mean, some it's pretty big stuff. Yeah, you have no excuse for failure. It's on you. Big boy rules, and the physical demands are greater. The responsibilities inherently larger, and so going from a, a reg, what I call a regular SEAL team, from SEAL Team One to Dev Group. Riding around in a in a six by an old Vietnam era six by, you know, is one thing, or or in a minivan, <laughs> or riding around in nice rental cars because you've got sniper rifles that you know will only fit in certain trunks, and you have to be able to lock them up at certain places, and you're staying in hotel rooms instead of uh, barracks on bases. Yeah. It's just a different budget, and you're able to live differently. It's much more of a civilian life. Only you're doing super crazy spec op stuff at night, you know. Um, yeah. you're going to jump out of something at thirty-five thousand feet in one case with the full combat equipment and, and O2 and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's a different life. It's a lot greater stress and responsibility, but the assets are are overwhelming. And it's it's like reading a novel, like a crazy adventure novel. And you're looking at each other, going, "My God, we're we're living this." I mean, yeah. this is this is our lives. If, if only people knew. And so you just, you know, if you have discipline about you, you don't ever write about it and you just file that away and like, okay, we got, uh, we had a heck of a life here, man. Let's uh, make sure we got good health care afterward and try to make the best of the years <laughs> that are left. Right. And uh, yeah. have some fun with it. So um, that's why, you know, yeah. I think it's, just a, it's a different, different flavor of life there. Right. Yeah. I think you nailed it with money. Right. I know that uh, my experience, you'd go from what now they call the theater level, you know, the regular what we call regular teams. It's theater level to, you know, national level. And money was the big differentiator. Money allows each guy to be truly a professional soldier. You can go and be the master of whatever you want, because there is no one that's going to tell you no, as long as whatever you're deciding to go train with, tr train you know for, whatever it is, they will let you go do that. And they will let you spend that money all day long if it's going to make you better at your job at the end of the day. And then this support that you mentioned, it's phenomenal. You can't, uh, I, I used to tell people, it's like it's, you're a rock star without the paycheck because you're traveling, awesome. You're getting to do all kinds of cool shit that most people pay to do. We're getting paid to yeah. do it. And you've got that support system in place that gives you that 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 time to then professionalize the other things that are more important, you know, like being a shooter or whatever your job is, being a breacher. You know, if you want to be the, the most badass dude at combatives, you can do it there because they're going to send you to Brazil and train with the people who invented jujitsu. You know, they're going to send you wherever you want uh, to make you the badass that you should be. At the end of the day, that's how exactly how it should be for every, 
you know, unit. Uh, but that's just not the case because yeah. it boils down to, like you said, money, 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 money. Yeah, I like the way you put it, theater level versus national level. That's that's a simple and com- concise way to put it. Yeah, that's kind of new. Um, as I was getting out, that was the the terminology. And it makes sense. Um, for those listening, you know, the, the SEAL teams used to be broken up regionally into different theaters. Now they all go everywhere. But, uh, but the theater level, you know, usually working for um, – uh, GCC or, you know, you usually have a general or an admiral in charge of an area and that area is called a theater. Therefore, when you deploy, you work for that person. Whereas at the national level, you work for the president or the joint chiefs of staff, you know, is really the short command structure there. But anyway, um, yeah, I love, I love everything you said and it's so accurate. I was like, so how did the Prince Harry thing come about with you? And you told me an interesting story, how you guys first met you're at a uh, close air support school. You were sitting yes. in the back and he's, uh, he comes walking in and, you know, it was kind of hush hush. And, and you were kind of like, eh, fuck off. <laughs> and then you became good <laughs> friends, right? Yeah. It, it, it was similar. To that. I probably didn't say fuck off, but yeah, it wasn't far from it. It was, yeah, we, <laughs> I was on a JTAP. We're on a JTAP yeah. course. Because this was before his first tour to Afghanistan. So his commanding officer took a risk said, look, you can't just come to Afghanistan. You need, a job title to go away, do the FAC course, I and mean, then you can be the regimental FAC. So that's how he was on, on that course. But we, you know, this, this, this course is like a little hut at the end of the runway on an air force base. The air force don't even care about the army, but on this, on this, you can imagine this day, every man and his dog turned up for the opening address just to get some face time. Right. So the, the, there was 18 of us on course. Um, there was four SF students, two from the SES and SBS. We were, you know, we sort of commandeered the back of the room <laughs> as we do. Yeah. And um, so they, everyone did their opening address. Harry then left the room. Um, then we were told, look, you know, you treat him like one of your own. He doesn't get any sort of preferential treatment. Is that funny? <laughs> so he comes back in. So he comes back in, and then the first lecture is is call signs. So on the course, you're jackpot one to jackpot one eight. So the pilot knows which student he's talking to. And then when you get to your units, you have your own prefix. You know, so like for the SBS, we're mayhem. You know, SES is with Omega. So Harry Lovage is hand up, and he said, you know, if successful on this course, do I get my own call sign? And I just blurted out, yeah, you're Fox Piss One under my breath and <laughs> you could see sort of everyone's face like ah, yeah. how dare you and then he turned around smiled um but then the sergeant major then came in that afternoon he said right i randomly picked these jackpot numbers you'll be working with me and the rest will be with color sergeant whoever so there's 18 on course he randomly picked four one was me one was the SES guy an RAF officer and harry and i was all he randomly picked them four and then the other 14 went over to the other group i was that yeah, this is this is obviously, you know, he just wanted his own little group. But then yeah. you then get you then get paired off again, you know. So you didn't work in pairs. So him and I worked together, and and like I said, he didn't he didn't get any preferential treatment. You know, he's a great operator. You know, very confident, clear on the net. You know what I mean? So he he, he was good, mate. He was good, and we just. I think he, they knew that just sticking with that SPS guy, he's not going to give him any preferential treatment. <laughs> yeah. so, and and I think, you know, I always say, you know, a lot of people ask about in, in the military, you know, that's probably the closest he could be to a normal civilian yeah. or, you know, not doing his job, not being scrutinized by the media or whatever. He could be 
you know, you know, at that point, your second lieutenant of Wales, you know what I mean, rather than Prince Harry. So yeah, I'm sure he. Yeah. I got to. I got to assume that he loved every minute of it for that reason. Yeah. You know, he's just kind of mm. with the guys doing guys stuff and not having to worry about all that other bullshit. You know, I can imagine exactly, that's like yeah. a vacation for him, even though it was a full time job being a. Uh, a, a military officer and representing the royal royalty uh, properly. Yeah, yeah. And he and he's not in line to be king. So unlike his brother, he he had, he had the option. He could go to go to war. You know what I mean? So and you know he did two tours of Af- Afghanistan. So um, yeah. So yeah, no. Uh, hats off to. Yeah, and so well, you ended up going to the wedding. I know I've seen pictures, and we're going to use mm-hmm. that picture uh, to advertise <laughs> you. Of course, like we're going to exploit the shit out. In fact, I'm going to talk to the producers. We're just going to put a picture of Prince Harry and then put Dean Stott yeah. on the page. Yeah. How's that? Yeah, well, that, 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 that's the problem. As we, as we as we discussed at the beginning of this show, it yeah. doesn't you know it doesn't matter how many world records you are, how many billions you've raised for charity. Yeah. I did get to mention we raised one point three billion dollars for mental health as well. Damn, in, that's in awesome. the process of that buy right, it, it's, it's all about. I'm just known as Prince Harry's special forces friends. You know, I've been called a lot worse in my time, so I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, it's not a bad association, I'd guess. And now, yeah. I mean, hell, he's like. I think where does he live? He's living there in LA or he's in Canada. I hear a different. No, he's, he, he's he's up the road in Montecito. Yeah, just outside of there. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Well, I won't dig any more on that just because everybody else, was, <laughs> even though they're like, no, no, ask him more questions about that time when he got naked and they took pictures of him on a balcony. <laughs> But uh, yeah. I'll, we'll just stay away from it. Um, yeah, that, that, I wasn't there. So I can't <laughs> you, you were the one taking the pictures, I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what about helicopters versus fixed wing? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Helic- I had a couple stolen mid-flight and at the nighttime in Afghanistan, which is definitely scary. It's like, okay, now we're going to die in this. Right. But uh, that's you, that. Hint, I always meant bring up the whistling shit cans of death. Yeah. Right? That's yep. helicopter. There's a. Uh, 46 dude. <laughs> yeah. Right. Did, did you wrong? just die? Yeah, you know where I was. Spec Ops bird, man. <laughs> what are these techs doing? What is going on? <laughs> Freaking mechanics. Yeah, we had one. It was a training gig and it was a it was a 47. And I'm sorry, the, 47. That's what yeah, I yeah, said. 47. And it was the chocolate mountains in, in Nevada. Right. And it was at Fallon. I forgot what the hell we were doing out there. And we were flying to come back one night. And the pilots couldn't get over the mountain range because oh. of the winds. So it would it would come up, and I mean, you're looking down, you can see the top of a mountain. You know, you know the deal, yeah, like yeah, five yeah. feet yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and it was pushing into the wind and would not get over the mountain. So he would, then he would turn left, bank left, bank right, and of course the winds would catch those props and push you down. If it was like a, this, it was the craziest roller coaster, oh, yeah. Dude. And then he would try again and try again. And we're over comms going, are you? Are we at the lowest point? I mean, what are you doing? You trying? You aiming are for the highest? Are you a pilot? <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, we finally got over that night. But all oh you're thinking about, is, well, if we run out of gas, guys, we're gonna we'll use just, the wheels and just kind of yeah. off road this over the mountaintop real quick. Yeah, yeah, we were debating. <laughs> It was like, okay, we're just going to camp. He's going to land and we're going to camp out and wait for the winds to die down. It's like, Dang it was insane. Dude. But yeah. it was those moments on helicopters when you think, oh. I'd okay, probably support that decision. Now we're going to die. Yeah. We'll just go to sleep. It's yeah. Fine. I just it's land fine. and it's camp good. It's out. Good. It's us. I've got food. That's right. <laughs> okay, so you're in the new UAV pilot. Throw it up. Let's see what you got. And I threw it up and I crashed it. And that was the end of my career with UAVs. Perfect. 
I'm sure you did that on purpose. Totally. Yeah, I would too. It's like, fuck this, man. Those things don't really, I mean, it's put, it's like one out of 10 times you throw them, they actually do what they're supposed to. Yeah. I mean, if you're, unless you're like a serious drone, like a legitimate pilot flying those real deal ones. Yeah. I mean, those weak ones that we had, the Raven A's and B's, they were just like, they yeah, always they always nosedive. Mm -hmm. I saw it happen time and time again with us too. It's like, what the fuck is the purpose? Man. But there is times when it works. Like I remember, uh, we were taken down. It was actually like like a, a a huge post office or you know mailing center of sorts, and like you know Intel was like, hey, Fedine, there were a bunch of them there, and they're storing a lot of weapons and rockets and all this crap there, and it was right near a uh, like a railroad, you know, and so it was kind of in the middle of nowhere. It was on the outskirts of uh, I don't remember which city, like Anasri or something, and um, we got that that drone up and it, you know, it actually took off first throw, got it up, got it orbiting. That's impressive. In and itself. it had uh, the, 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 you know, it had the, uh, the IR, the thermal payload on or whatever the hell it had. And it actually got great video of us moving in, take down. And then we set charges and just blew the whole fucking thing up when we left, you know, <laughs> and uh, got it. It was the only video that actually we got out of all the other attempts to try and get cool shit on video. <laughs> that was the only one. That's and awesome. it looked really cool. It reminded me of uh, what was that scene? One of the Tom Clancy movies where the SAS guys were moving across the desert to hit a, uh, a terrorist camp. It was when he was going after, um, more like IRA type terrorists, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And it, it, remember that? I don't yep. know if you watched that movie. Yeah, yeah. It remind it looked just like that. It kind of reminded me of it because we had comms flowing through it, and it all sounded cool. <laughs> now, hell, I don't even know where the video went at this point. I remember hanging on to it for a long time, and then it got lost in the mix. We never had that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's probably a good thing. It's because I was the pilot. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. There, there you go. And the uh, Epstein isn't dead comment, right? No, didn't kill himself. Yeah, that's right. Epstein didn't kill himself. And so now, you know, here we are. What a year or more later? Yeah, give or take. Um, and now you've got uh, what's her name? Jazane uh, Maxwell. Yeah, Jazane. There you go, Maxwell. Yeah. Now she's she's uh, been tried. And so, what are your thoughts these days on any of that? I'm actually kind of surprised that she uh, was found guilty. Uh, I mean, it, it's without a doubt encouraging to see that. I think that whole ring of fucking people, now that she's been convicted, I think there should be like a further investigation into all of her contacts and they should get fried, honestly. You know, yeah. I mean, I know Bill Clinton's fucking one of them. Bill Gates fucking, I mean, there's a bunch of people that, that were in that web of fucking nasty shit that uh are still just walking around completely unimpeded and i, I don't understand that you know yeah. so even if it was like a, a a plea deal and maybe they offered that and she turned it down I me mean, who knows but you know to me it i would use that if i was a prosecutor as leverage against her I, i'd try to squeeze her and say hey you can go to jail for the rest of your life where you can turn these fucking scumbags and and uh, get it reduced or even washed if you if you get enough of them you know uh, so we'll see if that happens but um you know like i said I, i'm at least encouraged to see that you know she didn't kill herself in prison you know or, or wasn't <laughs> offed you know yeah by a fucking auto accident or, or whatever you know uh, so it's it's good to see that I, I hope more more comes from it yeah yeah i'm surprised that uh you know, someone that's been living the lifestyle that she's been living 
wasn't like begging to give up names yeah. just so she could maintain her freedom and her yeah. lifestyle. You know, it's like, it's, it blows me away. Yeah. And she didn't give anything up early on and just prevent the trial to begin with. Yeah. No, I know. When the war kicked off, we, we went out onto ships and were operating by Hilo blowing up mines that were threatening the, the allied ships and you know literally physically dropping in and rigging those up with explosives and and blow, you know getting swimming back away bringing horse collar down from the bird pulling back up into the helicopter standing off and letting the time fuse ignite that that mine that's great, awesome uh, that's old school frogman shit yeah it was and of course when the captains of the ships would find out that we just blew a couple mines in their ship's path that day uh, they would feed us steak and lobster, me and my buddy, Dino. <laughs> and uh, Dino and I worked together throughout the that campaign at, at Team One. And uh, that was that was satisfying work. And then we arrested, uh, not arrested, but we captured the first prisoners of that war mm. uh, on islands and on oil rigs and sinking ships. You know, there was one time where there was, a, there was an oil tanker that was modified with a bunch of weapons systems, Iraqi tanker. And um, they were shooting at the fast movers, the allied fast movers on their inbound bombing runs toward Baghdad. And so they called us in. And when we flew in in helicopters, the sky was black. So there was a ceiling at only several hundred feet. Hmm. We had to fly under that. It was strange, man, like a black blanket across the sky. Just Saddam lit all the refineries, you name it. He lit everything on fire, right? Yeah. But in this case, it it was a ship that was burning. And so all this blackness was coming from one ship and the ship's back was broken and it was, it was slowly sinking. And so we dropped down below the, the, that black cloud layer was flying beneath that test fire in our M4s. Most of us at T- Team 1, we preferred carrying 762. So in those days, it was either an M4 or, or um, an M14. So we were carrying 14s, test firing those things. Dunk, dunk, dunk. Okay, we're good. Make sure everything is ready to go. And then drop it into the water and swimming up and these guys jumping over to the sides of the ship and we were capturing them you know dino i'd pull my pistol out dino would grab them around the the the, uh the head uh with a knife and uh, i would i would holster up my pistol and and search the guy and zip tie his hands in the front and pull him away from the others and pull the horse collar down and send him up that's how we started capturing these guys and wow it was interesting you know like right in their face kind of stuff and (laughs) one guy it it, it got a little sporty he he was on an overturned wooden lifeboat white wooden lifeboat he had he didn't have his shoes on he had this big life preserver on and uh um dino was waving at him to get off the lifeboat he wouldn't and come to you know find out later he was just scared but uh, Sam opened up um, and raked uh, raked him with water from the M60 from the helicopter. He just kicked the uh, door gunner off for a second, went boom, 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 and just gave the guy some incentive, like get off the damn boat. And when he guy fell over, Dino grabbed him, and I swam up to start uh, searching him. And I went to go lower myself in the water to start searching his legs, and he threw his legs around me, clamped down with like a almost like a jujitsu fighter was like locked locked around me yeah i got I you into the guard oh, no dude no yeah. <laughs> so i just relaxed and i slid down and i pulled up my my knife from my my leg i had a dive knife on my leg a skeletonized 
little techno knife. Yeah, yeah. I came up with that and I put it right up under his gut and I came up out of the water and grabbed him like, dude, I've got you. I can split you from nuts to neck or you can throw your legs off of me, which it's going to be. And he relaxed his legs and I threw him off of me and he stayed calm. And I kind of like, don't yeah. let that happen again. I put it back away and we were fine, you know? And so we processed him later. He was a, a little bit of a problem in the bird. And I ended up basically taping him up almost mummy style, but um, that was interesting. I, I never thought I'd be need underwater hand to hand skills, if you will. I mean, it was, <laughs> you did an underwater combat fighting. Go at you. Uh, to a mild degree. I mean, I'd already, I'd already had his hand zip tied in the front. So it was, yeah, yeah. it wasn't full on, but I mean, uh, if I didn't know what I was doing, he could have drowned me because he, he just clamped his legs around me as hard as he could. Wow. That's but he's really, he's trying to get his leg, his head above water. Right. So I just told D I said, Dino, raise his head a little more. Yeah. He's the drowning. Guy raised his head a little more. <laughs> That's when he, he settled down. So I'm like, okay, he's just scared. You're listening to Can You Survive This Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. What's the most dangerous situation you feel like you've ever been in? Military or, or just in general? Yeah, just in general. Yeah. Where, where, mainly where you've had a lot of lessons learned come out of it where you're like, whoa, man, wish I would have done this, yeah. this, or this, you know? Yeah, there's one actually, and it's in the prologue and epilogue of my, of my book. It's, um, you know, so when I was in Afghanistan, we used to work with the, uh, you know, Secret Service and we used to go pick up Taliban agents. So I used to dress up as a local Taliban and drive into, into, into Kandahar and, and go pick up these agents so we would do this day in day out there's no point in us planning a route because every day you know when you go into the city there'd be roadblocks there'd be situations so we knew where we were going and we just had to get there and what would happen is i normally lead vehicle me and one of my uh one of the afghan sf guys would be in the front of me you know we would drive by the target second vehicle would pick up the target third would make sure we've got no follow-up you know that's that was our normal sop without giving too much away so i uh, you know we do this day in day out this one day we went into town the, the road that we initially wanted to take was blocked so we i then got diverted to right and it was just bumper to bumper traffic and i um I just remember people it was it was a very narrow market street there's people walking down the sides of the vehicles and the people were tapping on the window and, and talking to me. And, and, I, and I would always direct them to, to, um, to Heckman and he would do the talking. But there was a lot of attention. I, I couldn't, I don't like anything in my eyes. So I had a, lovely, a nice big black beard, no tan skin, turban, uh, looked the part, but a big beaming blue eyes. So initially <laughs> I thought, you know, I've been compromised. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, I, I said to Heckman, I think we've been compromised. You know, it came up over the net, so it just goes radio silent. So in my head, I'm thinking, uh, you know, the worst case scenario, as you do, orange boiler suit, CNN tonight, nine o'clock news, <laughs> yes. this, this guy. So in my head, I'm thinking about the IA drill, the immediate action drill, what I need to do. Obviously, I can't uh, divulge that on this show. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about that. And, and the initial thing is to grab the weapon under my seat, which is a, a MP5 Kurt, so it's got no barrel, and you just empty the magazine 30 rounds into the windscreen, 
gives yourself time to grab your weapon and then get on your flip-flops and start heading back to camp, which was about 18 miles as the crow flies from, from this point. So here's <laughs> me in my head, you know, going over this situation, you know, planning it out. And just as I was about, you know, during this whole situation, the, the vehicles are slowly edging forward. So HQ on, said, on your call, you're, you make the decision. So, okay, as I was just about to grab it, the second, luckily the second vehicle come by uh, around the corner. And my friend, um, Ads, he came up over the net and he's like, ah, stop, stop, stop. So straight away, you just drop everything. You know, your, your whole body just freezes and I'll yeah. drop the weapon. Um, and he says, your, your turbine's caught in the door. So for me, it was like a real life lesson, how I misread a situation because I knew I shouldn't have been there. My senses were so heightened, yeah. thinking the worst case scenario, when in fact, people have been generally nice and trying to help me. Um, so that's yeah. a real life lesson for me. And in, in the fact, you know, there wasn't any explosions. It wasn't any shooting. It was just, you know, and I always say it when I do uh, lectures on security and things like that, you know, don't run into a situation, just step back, yeah. have a look. And that's what I didn't do. I was so immersed in it and uh, I knew that I shouldn't be there. So my senses were heightened. So I wasn't making the right, the right decisions. I love that story because it supports what I put in uh, the first little book I ever did was Escape the Wolf. And it's an awareness book. And in there, I would talk about like anytime you arrive into a new area, new country, you're going to be oversensitized. Your brain and everything is going to be trying to pay attention to everything because everything in front of you is new. And you're going to think that everything is after you, right? You're going to see ghosts. You're going to see goblins. You're going to see everything that you think you can see. <laughs> in that environment when the reality is it's nothing it's just a new culture a new place so you got to almost step back from all of that uh temporary paranoia you know which yeah. and and just kind of drive forward but keep your wits about you at the same time but man that's a yeah. that's a fucking great example of what uh i've talked about in there you know i was in a an, 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 an unfortunate leadership position and the comms guy that we had, right, he was the primary and, you know, we're in the middle of, you know, basically starting a war and pushing up Highway 1 in Iraq. And um, and he was just, I can't remember what he was doing, but he just wasn't doing his job. So we like fired him on the spot. We're like, all right, yeah. you're fucking done. You were the secondary comms guy. And... Were you were, were you a new guy? I, you, I was. I was. Your I first, was first. Your first deployment was yeah. pushing in Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Fuck. Yeah. yeah. I forget about that. You lucky little fucker. Um. So first deployment, you're pushing in Iraq. You're a new guy, and now we're what? But just a couple of days in, the primary comms guy who just wasn't making comms. You know, and keep in mind for those listening, you're you're surrounded by you know other U.S. forces when you're you know basically pushing into a country, and it's it was probably the closest thing to. I, I hate to compare things to like World War II, but it was really the closest thing because it's not like we were going back each night to an FOB and you know getting Starbucks and getting a good night's rest or you know, had weight rooms or flat screens, you know, in our little, uh, you know, platoon spaces, we were sleeping underneath our vehicles every night. And in some aspects, it was very much just, you know, very rogue maverick lifestyle cruising the Iraqi countryside 
doing what we were told. But um, so, yeah, it's important to kind of note that because that lends to how important it is that a comms guy do his job because there's no like, hey, I need this radio fixed or we need to go pick up extra batteries or there's no excuses. There was no excuses. You had we had to make comms with the Marines and other forces so that essentially they, they, when we, we rolled into different areas, they didn't shoot at us. Right. I mean, is that the extent of it? Yeah, I mean, um, you remember that. I mean, some of the biggest threats, to be quite honest, were were friendly, you know, blue on blue events because it was so chaotic, right? There's people, there's yeah. units, conventional units, you know, special operations folks running all over the place doing, you know, kind of all these different things. And uh, I don't know that uh, we realized that the major oversight in regards to communications and how like the you know, different systems that the Marines use, vice the Navy, vice Army. I mean, it was um, pr- very dynamic, right? So, you know, situation. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, the main comms guy couldn't figure it out. And then so you got put in the position and you started figuring it out. And what was the big thing? It was like crypto, right? Like we just we all ha- were running different crypto or. Well, the yeah, I, I mean, you know, in particular with the Marines, we eventually what out of Baghdad got attached to the Marines because we provided that uh we were able to do move forward of the law of the front right remember and we were doing some recce yeah. some bridges that they wanted info on so they could move their heavy vehicles that's right that's right, right. and so um but the problem was we just had the same radios but they were utilizing i believe singars or something and i mean we were on a i think at a time we were the only ones in country with like a 25k dedicated satellite right Oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I forgot about that. Yeah, we were pretty lucky. We had dedicated satellite, and then we were expecting everyone else to probably kind of be on the same sheet of music with us, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what we thought was going to happen, but <laughs> you know, once we realized, like, wow, we really need to figure this out. I went and spent quite a bit of time with the Marines uh, to to figure out how they run on Singars, because certainly. Uh, we couldn't fit all them on our satellite, right? And so um, for us to flex to, and they were a much bigger unit than we were. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. for us to flex to their, um, you know, comps architecture was way easier than than the other way around. Right. Okay. That's a good refresher. Sengars. I have. I don't think I've heard that since the time you were sitting next to me in the fucking Humvee going, hey, they're on Sengars. I'm like, well, I don't know what that, what is that? <laughs> it's like, just figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And of course you figured it out and got us back up and running again. And, um, and the other guy was all mad <laughs> for the rest of the deployment. <laughs> yeah. But Hey, you don't do your job. You get fired and there's something to learn from that. Um, okay. So, yeah, the uh, the other thing that you just refreshed my mind on was the how small a world it really like the General Kelly aspect of it. I mean, remember we were working for a for a Colonel Kelly in Iraq, you know, and here's a guy that became a general, obviously became a very popular general, and then worked under Trump. Trump eventually fired all his Marine generals, but you know. Kelly, obviously a very stand-up guy, and um, got, I mean, I thought he was kind of cool. The limited interaction we had with him on the battlefield, and he was also the first, pretty sure he was the first flag officer to be promoted uh, from from colonel to general in combat. 
since like the Korean War or something. Oh, like wow. it was really yeah, super cool. Like kind of you know obviously a small world of of all of us on the ground, and then for him to kind of escalate all the way up to uh, the positions he's held since then, it's pretty cool. But we met him you know, with gunfire going around and here's this dude, this Marine officer standing there like, Hey guys, I'm glad you're here. We really could use your help. Uh, there's some bad guys over there. We need you to go kill them. And I, and he shook all our hands. He looked us all in the eyes and he turned around and walked away and it was like, Whoa, you know, you, you wouldn't find a, uh, a Navy, a, a SEAL officer of that rank hanging out like in gunfire like that. You know what I mean? It was just sure. really surreal. Where, wasn't it? Where was that? That, you see, these are the memories you know better than I do. I was so. This was just south of Anasaria. Okay. Yeah, Jessica Lynch was held up in that hospital. Yeah. And we were uh, we had just rolled in, and um, yeah, he came out and he said his two cents to us, and he was the one that was basically like, "There's a town over there called Suckass. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but." We've been calling it suck ass population eighty thousand, and well, anyway, we need you guys to go over there and kill everybody. <laughs> well, I remember that actually. We, yeah, we we, we uh, went over to that bridge. We ended up blowing up some technical vehicles. You know, right? Remember that? We oh yeah, blew up yeah, some yeah, vehicles yeah, yeah. and stuff over there, and found a cache under the bridge of RPGs or something mortars. Right, that blew all that up too. Yeah, and there was like used rubbers laying there. We're like, well, I wonder if they were, if these soldiers were just banging each other or what? Because remember, it was like RPGs and a bunch of used rubbers, <laughs> and they had just like you could tell they had just must have saw us coming and ran away, you know? Or yeah, right? It was something kind of yeah, strange. Yeah, they even like wrecked their, you know, kind of trash their vehicle or wrecked their vehicle when they they were trying to back up and it got stuck or something. They just left it and so we blew it up. Yeah, we blew it up. That was pretty funny. Just running around blowing shit up. That was cool. We will be right back after the break. You've survived a lot of stuff, but it's that time in the podcast where we have to see if you survive this podcast. And uh, it starts with this little hypothetical scenario. Are you ready? Do you think you can? Stand by. I think you'll do just fine, but it's important to note that uh, the only right answer is the answers on my piece of paper here, okay? Oh, okay just so nice. you know. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to uh, kick this thing off. So the scary, suspenseful music will start right about now. The police ask if they can come in and ask you some questions. So A, let them in, or B, tell them to come back with a warrant and shut the door. <laughs> <laughs> You're in someone else's country, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. Mm. I, I mean, I mean, if there was a third option, I'd ask <laughs> if we could go in, into the public lobby and just chat there. In, in yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, a great point. Yep. Again, I uh, again, they're not going to come back with a warrant. I've worked in some of these places, you know. To, you know, yeah. again, try and try and I go with the a. Yeah, let them, let them. In. <laughs> And yes, A is correct. Um, and I'm with you because you and I both know the legal systems really only work in one, two, maybe three countries on this fucking planet. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, rest, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, it's corrupt. I mean, it's corrupt. The, yeah. the, you know, it's semi-permissive if you're lucky. And mm. the, the law enforcement certainly 
uh, bribery and taking cash yeah. and all that is a, is there is like a primary form of income for these folks, yeah. right? Yeah, true. I, I, I sort of learned as well, especially like going around, because I worked all over Africa and, and the Middle East, is that the laws that we have in UK and America are for UK and America. You right. can't enforce them in, in another country. Yeah. So people used, people used to ask me questions about buying weapons on the black market. It's legal. I've done nothing illegal there. You know, it's it's all legal in that country. Yeah, if yeah. I did it in the UK, it's totally legal. Yeah. So yeah, you, you you need to understand, and that's and as you touched on before, you go to these countries, you understand their cultures, their laws, and things like that. So you don't get tripped up as well, um, and you understand that is that is normal. Is it normal in the US? And is it normal in the UK? But it is normal in wherever we are. At the right. Moment. In those countries, you know, they don't call them black markets. They're called open air markets. You walk up and you buy whatever the fuck you want. It's or the not hotel until, manager. <laughs> yeah, it's not until you leave the country, you go, oh, yeah, those, I guess, were considered black markets, but they're just open air markets. They're like a souk, yeah. a souk of weapons. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm with you, man. That's good stuff. Uh, so, yeah, you, you let them in. All right. They tell you that they need your passport. Okay. This is where, you know, it's, man, this is yeah. what, this is the part that bugs me even in, in yeah. real life. You know, anybody who needs my passport. So they say, hey, we need your passport and you got to come with us. And so yeah. do you, A, refuse and request to call your embassy or B, mm -hmm. cooperate with the police and go ahead and, you know, give them your passport? So what I always do I do it when I do my travel security to people. I when I, before I go anywhere, I take photocopies of my passport. I take photocopies of my yellow fever cards yeah. and things like that. So when you have when people ask you, especially some of these hotels you go to around the world, oh, we need to take your passport to get it scanned. Mm. Or here, I've already got a photocopy, so that that should do the job. So you never lose sight of your passport. So that was what I would do in this situation. Yeah, I have my I keep my passport on me, but I would give them my photocopy because then you've actually agreed to what they've asked. Yep. You've given them what they need yep. and without upsetting them. So I always have photocopies for those scenarios. Yeah. Okay. I like it. And that's all great points. And I think it's stuff that even if you go to um, the statedepartment.gov here in the United States, yeah. you, know, you go there, yeah. it's going to tell you all these things. It really does. It's, mm. a, it's a great, mm. it's a great source. You know, another great source of information is if you're going to, let's say, whatever that country is. Go to yeah. that country's embassy websites. Every single one of them have embassy websites now. We tend yeah. to go, oh, I'm just going to look at American stuff, even though I'm traveling yeah. to Egypt. It's like, no, go to the Egyptian consulate website, and they will tell you exactly what yeah. you, the do's and don'ts, uh, which Very is a, it's, a, it's a much better source of information. So, yeah, that's good yeah. stuff. While you're in the bathroom, you hear shots fired. Automatic gunfire rains out. Okay, the party is being taken hostage by several gunmen. So you're in the elevator, and now you hear people in the hallways say, "Did someone just get in the elevator?" So do you a take the elevator down to the lobby, or b take the elevator to a different floor and look for more discreet exits? You already kind of answered this. Me. Yeah, Me. look at and you. I would also, I would also probably <laughs> use the elevator and press a few of the buttons to make sure they wouldn't know what level I got out on. So I could press it down to the one below, but then maybe I'd stay in and then go a couple Ooh. more below and then see if the, yeah, the door to yes. the stairwell is open. Right. False insertions, we call that. Right, because yep. bad guys used to hear us with our helicopters. So you make sure you go land your helicopter about five times in five different locations, and they don't know which location 
we actually got out of the helicopter, right? Yeah. So yeah, you want to hit all the buttons. That's a great yeah. idea. Okay. <laughs> Good job. So you grab an object in this renovated cubicle area and you throw it to make a noise and distract the gunman. When he turns towards the sound, now you charge him. Okay. Now you're going full on violent mode. Uh, you take him out with a screwdriver straight to a fucking throat. Damn, that's so yeah. cool. Yeah. And now he's lying on the ground. Now you have his gun. Okay. And his walkie-talkie. Do you, A, take his gun back to the 11th floor and save everyone? Or B, check through all the channels on the bad guy's radio, his walkie-talkie, to see if you can connect with any of the uh, police radio frequencies that are out there. If it was a video game, <laughs> yeah, I'd definitely go B. Yeah, why not, right? Because yeah. intel, collect information, take mm -hmm. that opportunity to see what these guys are up to. Maybe you can figure out all their locations through listening to their comms. Um, and it gives you, without a doubt, a huge advantage. Just like in Die Hard, if you haven't caught on Oh, yet. no, I've, I've been playing, <laughs> playing this whole thing through my head. In Die Hard, you shoot out the windows and you throw the body of your uh, your new screwdriver holder mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> out the window. Uh, and you hear, and of course, he drops right down and lands on top of the cop car. Because yeah. you are that good at throwing bodies out at, yeah. you know, from high. For, yes, exactly. I mean, you're from Texas, so... And you hear the cop erupt over the radio. And uh, he's like, I need backup at this building right now. Okay. So suddenly it's not so quiet, not so peaceful at this building after a dead body falls on his car. Do you, A, now go to the roof and try to communicate with the radio? Or B, hide where you are until the cops come? Ooh. Um, I... I think I would hide because like you were saying in the last situation time and also you don't know if there are the bad guys in the stairwell and it is so far up. I don't think I would actually get up there in time and I'm sure I'd see someone along the way. So if there's no one on that floor right now, the bad guys know the cops are here. So I feel like I would stay and hide. Whether I'd hide on that floor um, or whether or not... Actually, I probably would hide on that floor because I feel like once they know the cops are there, they'll be running up and down the stairway. So I don't think they're going to be safe. Mm. Is that right? Mm. Oh, no. Mm. Oh, my gosh, no. <laughs> Maybe you've got to rethink the, the answer. <laughs> the thing about staying put is that the bad guys could actually come look for their missing buddy. Right. Yes. And now you're going to stay exactly where he went missing. And not to mention, eventually, they're going to realize he fell on a police car from a window. Okay. Uh, so you want to get you've created a new X for yourself. Right. Yeah. So anytime there's another big incident, like using an automatic weapon to shoot out a window and then throw a body out of it, you've just created a new X for yourself. Right. So okay. you need to keep moving. So, a. Move to the roof so you can get a signal, communicate with the cops, all right? But you only missed one, so you're still surviving the podcast. Uh, okay, right. I'm still alive. <laughs> you're doing okay. You're doing okay. okay. <laughs> you're getting ready for bed when suddenly everything starts violently shaking. Do you, A, lie down next to the sturdy piece of furniture, such as the couch or a table, or go stand in a door frame? Now, this may get you. Some people have heard 
Go things. stand in a door frame. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. It no, is no. A, you stay by the, the whole, piece of furniture. The whole door frame Shit. thing doesn't really apply. It's a misconception, unfortunately. But you've obviously heard it. I know I'd heard mm-hmm. it at one point. But yeah, uh, the door frame is really not providing you any protection when you think about it yeah it's definitely not as big as my body uh the door frame would only cover about (laughs) this much of my head (laughs) that's right yeah see where you're going (laughs) that's right so often door frames are not reinforced Mm -hmm. uh, but laying down next to something really big and sturdy and is bigger than you if anything falls it's going to hit that thing first and not hit you which is all which is the goal and you're kind of creating a if you will this uh this triangle, you know, yeah. The, the third piece of the triangle isn't there yet. There's your body, there's the obstacle, and then you're just waiting for whatever else is to fall to create the rest of that triangle. But that's kind of what you're going for. Um, so now you're laying next to this big ass piece of furniture that you've got in your little modest uh, single story. And uh, the initial shaking has stopped, right? So do you A, grab a go bag uh, grab a go bag and supplies or just run outside. I grab my go bag and Your supplies. Go bag. Yes. That, we talk about yes. go bags all the time around yes. here. Yes. Go bags are, uh, it's important to have something. It can be a bag. It can be a backpack. It can, you know, something that's uh, always put within arm's reach. You know where it's at. The rest of the family knows where it's at. Um, because really the leading cause of death and earthquake is falling debris. That is the reason why you do not want to just go run aimlessly Mm. everywhere. Um, Toppling trees, power lines, there's a whole lot of danger outside, so sometimes it's not the best decision, especially after the first big violent shake. Um, So, yes, a go bag, it's got, what I always say is put life support items in it. That's, Mm. you know, your water, your food, you got bartering systems when crises Mm. happen, so... You know, it could be cash, could be gold, or it could be, you know, maybe some first aid stuff. Um, but you get the point. You want that, uh, anything that provides survivability. Uh, and it's good to plan for about, you know, 72 hours, give or take. Um, because 911 is going to be really busy. You approach the situation at the front of the plane. Uh and the stewardess are telling him <laughs> to take his seat, and he is refusing to sit down. Okay? So do you, A calmly ask if everything's okay or b grab the closest coffee pot and hit the guy with it because i have those metal ones those things would not (laughs) feel good they got good ones i'm had to go calmly ask because i want to defuse the situation de-escalate yes it is the word of the decade that's for sure let's see what the game sounds really nice b is b is typical team guy right all right let's see Hey, you are correct. You want to calmly, because what what have we learned just dealing with clients and stuff? De-escalation. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. If you can, and, and if you, the big word here would be calmly. Hey, bro, what's going on here? Like you're just escalating. You're like, are you yelling at me? Like, hey, <laughs> yeah. bro, is everything okay? Yeah. Yeah. The peanuts sucked. I agree with you. Like, just right. manipulate the situation. <laughs> yeah. One, one of the one of the acronyms that comes to mind that we came up with at Escape the Wolf for our corporate folks on de-escalation is it's. It, it is the word calm, mm-hmm. C-A-L-M. C, remain calm above everything else. A, start paying attention mm-hmm. to what the person is saying. Because sometimes 
people just want to be heard. Right. And L is like, listen and lean in. Like, show them, even if you're faking it, right. that you actually care right. about what their problem is. Yep. And then M is manage and model. Model being the most important. Like, tr- act the way that you would want him to act. Mm-hmm. If you start acting the like an rule, asshole. Baby. Right. There it is yeah. again. There it is so, again. calm. If all else fails, That's use good. the acronym That's very calm, good. people. And stay calm above everything else if you can't remember what the hell the acronym stands for. Just so people know, I mean, I've talked about this several times. Zip ties, you know, is another but a very fragile ratchet system that can be broken the same way you get out of tape. But if it's the thick, heavy-duty ones, then you just got to use a shim of some sort. You know, you hear about bobby pins and other things you can shove in between, you know, the, the, the actual ratchet mechanism in the teeth, and it just slips right off. So you know you can get out later. All right. No, it didn't stall that time. Okay. They take you outside and they begin to force you into the back seat of their car. Uh, it's a little four-door Honda. So do you, A, take off running down the street, or B, play it cool and get in the car? A. Hey. So, yeah, he's going to go ahead and... Uh, <laughs> if I'm not going to let him tie me up, I'm sure not going to fucking get in their car either. But. So, yeah, Mike, uh, going with A, he's going to run down the street. The answer is B, uh, play it cool and get in the car. Once again, um, when you're outnumbered, outgunned, taking severe blows to the head, whatever's going on, sometimes you have to temporarily surrender so you can live another day. The last thing you want to do is get shot in the back or knocked out and then wake up somewhere where you don't know where the fuck you are and with the real restraints in place. You know, it's a Dexter moment. You don't want to be yeah. uh, butt naked, wrapped up in, uh, you know, yeah. uh, plastic wrap with yeah. uh with dexter cutting your cheek so he can collect your blood and put it on yeah, the slide fucking kidneys in a nice pan <laughs> yeah but uh, mike is fighting all the way yeah regardless of whether he's well, not all the way like mm-hmm. i'd get down initially i wouldn't fight him but again it's so many like yeah you know it, it, let's say not to get too off track but let's say there's two doors right mm-hmm. and i don't know if you can see this on the camera but mm-hmm. like let's say i'm at the end of the line right by one door and they yeah. come in the other door like yeah i'm just gonna get the yeah. fuck out of the door yeah, of course you know uh, i also always have a fucking gun on me you know yeah. so i would get down and i would slowly pull my gun out wait for both of them to have their backs turned and i would shoot both of them there you go you, you know but uh and i get that you know these are are a little more thirty thousand foot view uh questions but yeah, like I'm not letting anybody uh, zip tie me, and I'm not getting in anybody's car fucking unwarranted. Like I'm just I'm too arrogant of a fucking prick that way. Like I'm just not doing it. You know, yeah, but. I'm with you, man. If you can fight and you have the ability, then you should. But there's a lot of people out there that just don't yeah. and think they could. Yeah, and that's I think the the delineating difference there. Okay, here's one. You'll love this one. Toilet or drawer? Toilet or drawer? Yeah, Hell. a toilet <laughs> or a drawer. <laughs> I'm not sure where that's going, but uh, I'll choose drawer. <laughs> drawer. Yes, that's the one. I mean, so, you, you know, it's, of course, I know you and your wife really well. And I remember her telling me a story about one night where you woke up in the middle of the night. Instead of making it to the toilet, you went ahead and uh, went to the drawer. I think it was like her sock drawer or something. <laughs> <laughs> and and went ahead and filled the drawer up instead of filling the toilet up. I well, now, what, well may have done that. Were you super tired or or had you been drinking or what's your oh, excuse? I'm sure I had probably been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> now, now this leads to the next one. Um you know, so yeah, you picked the drawer over your wife, which is probably good. Oh no, the toilet. So yeah, now wife or drawer? Which which one do you go with there? The drawer or the wife? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> now I see where this is going. Because I think wife you've peed drawer? on her too, right? Oh, Did you pee on her once, once or twice? You've peed all I, over her, I think. I I I may be guilty of that. 
<laughs> and then of course the last one is clint or drawer oh here we go <laughs> well i have to choose clint at that point yes because you have peed all over me too <laughs> um and that's always a fun story you have to pull the fun stories out when mike was on the show we had to talk about me digging digging poop out of his constipated ass so of oh, course boy. we're going to uh talk about the new the new story that hopefully will go viral is how Zach likes to pee on Clint. And of course, <laughs> after he's done peeing all over me in, the, in my sleep, he goes and sleeps on the floor and leaves me to lay in the pee for the rest of the night, which was really very friendly of you. <laughs> of course, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, how the fuck did I get all wet? <laughs> and then I look around and you're you're curled up in the fetal position on the floor. And uh I think there was quite a bit yeah. of booze involved with that one. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. I appreciate you coming on this show. Thank you very much. And like I always say, keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest. And until next time, be safe out there. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson. <laughs>